The ongoing energy revolution knows no borders. It touches industries, governments, and lives all over the world. So why shouldn't our podcast? Hello, and welcome to a new season of Electrifying AI. I'm your host, Sal Gill. This episode marks the beginning of our third season and the first time that the Electrifying AI podcast has gone global. Our mission is to bring you up-to-date insights on the latest developments taking shape in the electricity sector. Along the way, we'll help demystify the connection between the greatest machine ever built, the electric grid, and the greatest enabler of our time, data analytics. To help us do that, we'll have a series of guests who hold a variety of different roles within the industry. And today, it is a privilege to begin our third season and a broader view of the electricity industry landscape with someone who's had a hand in crafting what that landscape looks like in his home country. Brett Redman is the CEO of Transgrid in Australia. Transgrid operates and manages the high voltage electricity transmission network in New South Wales and the Australian Capital Territory, connecting generators, distributors, and major end users. And Brett is a seasoned executive who has, among other roles, previously served as the CEO of AGL and the chair of the Australian Energy Council. Brett, it is an immense honor to welcome you to Electrifying AI. Thanks, Sal. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. I can't wait to talk to you about what you've done in your career up to this point and what your vision is for the future. But first, I think it might be helpful for some of our viewers and listeners if you could offer an overview of what Transgrid does and what its role is within the within the electricity industry in Australia. Yep, no problem. So uh, the bulk of the electricity industry in Australia runs up and down the east coast of Australia. And in a market sense, it's separated between generation, network, and retail. Um, network itself is broken into two parts, distribution and transmission. So when I talk about Transgrid, I'm talking about transmission. It's a regulated business. Um, it's effectively a monopoly business, devils in the detail, but it's a monopoly business with regulated returns. In a geographic sense, as you said, it, it's centred around New South Wales. Um, think about that as the east coast of Australia. New South Wales is right in the middle. Sydney's right in the middle of that. Um, we operate about 13,000 kilometres of um, transmission lines, uh, about 11, uh, about 1,100 substations, and we sit as the, the biggest part of the um, electricity market in Australia and right in the middle of all the other states as well. So we're right at the middle of um, the flow of electricity and right at the forefront of the change that we're about to talk about. Excellent. And Brett, um, uh, congratulations on, on your new position as a CEO. How has the experience been taking on the reins of an organization in a pandemic and especially in Australia? Uh, yeah, as we've all gotten used to operating um, in a pandemic, uh, I was lucky that um, pre-Christmas, so I started about two months ago, a month or so before Christmas, uh, I was able to get in the office and meet a bunch of people and get out to us, some of our sites. And then the next wave came through and while we can still move around a bit um, with all the different rules going on, as you can tell from the picture, uh, I'm back working at home again. So um, it's it's not without its challenge. I'm sure many of the people listening to this will have gone through the same thing. Uh, I was recruited without a physical meeting with the board and I have wow. been recruiting senior executives without ever meeting them. Um, uh, and so eventually we'll show up and we'll all... We'll all meet together and get to know each other better. But 
you know, I've, I've always said the COVID um, is a roller coaster. Um, when it's going well, you maximise what you're doing. When it's a bit tougher, you just tough it out and keep going. So uh, we just keep going. Well, that's that's quite eventful and uh, congratulations again. So um, Brett, you've had an impactful career in the electricity industry in Australia, and it is something you've dedicated so much of your life to. What drew you to, what what is it that drew you to this industry in the first place and why does it matter so much to you? I first started having contact with the industry probably 20 years ago, um, working at a business that made electricity and gas meters. Later, about 15 or so years ago, I, I joined AGL, um, my previous business for 15 years. And, and AGL in the map was Australia's biggest um, energy retailer, biggest generator, biggest developer of renewables. So, so the other parts of the energy sector there. It, it's it's interesting. What first drew, drew me to it was um, I love working with businesses that are physical businesses that do things, um, that make things, that have a real role to play in the community in that sense. So when I joined AGL, um, my previous company, um, 15 years ago, um, that was all about joining a really large Australian business that was a very physical business with a role to play, but somewhat quite a stable business. Um, mm. And here we are 15, minute, 15 years later, I've, I've started at Transgrid now, the um, transmission company, and, and massive change is going on. So I, I started because I loved the businesses, and I loved business that did real things and worked with real people and, and really valued people as well as, as profit. Um, and then I've stayed with it because it's turned into, I think, the most exciting industry around right now. It's red hot. Absolutely, absolutely, very exciting. How how have you seen the electricity industry change over those years, and how have you seen the concept of innovation, more importantly, change during that time? So, you know, fifteen years ago, it was a very physical business. I mean, it still is, but a very physical business um, um, centered around a very small um, number of locations where you generated mm-hmm. lots of customers, of course, and innovation was mainly physical innovation. Um, you know, what kind of plant could we build? Um, should we build something different? And you just started to see new opportunities come in. But but back then, it was all about things like efficiency, cost out, operating costs, um, which are still features today, um, but, but, a, but a much more steady state manufacturing mentality almost, if you think about it that way. Some innovation then starting to happen on the customer side. Um, innovation today is much more the intangible. We've moved from the tangible to the intangible. Um, technology is driving change in the way we make transport and deliver energy rapidly. And data is coming in to make such a big difference in the way that the whole system has to hang together. So what used to be a very simple um, physical setup that that um, somebody you know from the eighteen um, hundreds could probably um, recognise um, mm-hmm. today is becoming unrecognisable as technology takes great leaps and bounds, and the kind of analytics and thought that has to go into it to keep a pace with that is just extraordinary. I, I love you. I love you using the word analytics, and we'll come back to that in a bit. Uh, but that is that is a great look, uh, Brett, into how your past experiences have shaped your ideas. Let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll talk more about what you envision for the future of energy. Welcome back to Electrifying AI. I'm Sal Gill, and I'm talking with Transgrit CEO Brett Redman. And listeners, stay tuned until the end of today's episode because I have a trivia question for you about one of Brett's hobbies that we'll discuss soon. Uh, Brett, our American listeners and viewers are very familiar with wildfires and the industry issues that surround those awful events. In Australia, you uh, you experience bushfires. 
And as an executive, how do you balance reliability, safety, operating costs, and customer satisfaction when it comes to mitigating bushfire risks? So we very much prioritize safety and reliability. Um, safety, um, to state what I hope is the obvious, worker safety first and foremost is an absolute priority. So we, we look after our people and those operating in hazardous conditions. From a reliability point of view, um, we, we absolutely prioritize making sure that our power lines um, both don't create fires, you know, we, we, we mitigate all the spark risk as well as if there is fire in the area that they're well cleared and, and able to operate. A lot of that is a focus around vegetation management. Pretty much all of our power, power lines, transmission lines are above ground. Some as they come into the city are low ground, but they're above ground. So we spend a lot of time and effort in veg management. Um, it's a whole art and science in itself. Um, but by spending a lot of time thinking about it, managing it, never scrimping on the spending of it, ultimately what that means is, firstly, um, reliability really stacks up in a consistent sense. You know, so reliability nowadays for our business is 99.999%. Um, and then that drives customer satisfaction. Um, we're a part of the energy food chain where, if we're being completely honest, our customers don't notice us unless something goes wrong. So standing up through thick and thin um, is a way to drive customer satisfaction. And finally, um, when I reflect upon our performance during um, the bushfires that we experienced about two years ago, so we, we've been watching with horror again what's been happening in California and other places recently with wildfire. Uh, I know you were watching um, with horror about two years ago that we had a particularly bad bushfire season um, that was dreadful. Throughout all of that, um, none of the transgrid um, transmission networks suffered a loss of supply. Um, so to me, that was a great proof point of how we're managing a priority of safety and reliability, which will then go to customer satisfaction and, you know, doing it as efficiently as we can from a cost point of view, but not compromising security of supply. That, that, is, that is very, very impressive. Uh, so a lot of times the, the bushfire risks are also um, talked about in relationship to renewables, and that's what we're going to get into next. So Australia leads the world in terms of customer-owned solar. About one in four Australian homes have rooftop solar panels, which is a larger share than in any other major economy. And the rate of installations far outpaces the global average. The country is well ahead of Germany, Japan, and for us in the US, California, which are widely considered leaders in clean energy. But that great progress undoubtedly brings new complex cities for grid operators and others who are tasked with ensuring uninterrupted service. Brett, how have you seen forecasting in this era for energy supply and demand change? And how are you addressing shifting needs around forecasting? So over the years, I'd have to say the constant in forecasting has been it's wrong. Um, and so you, all the time you're trying to work out um, to a large degree how wrong or what your tolerances are around where you think the world is going. Um, we, we forecast pretty as, as often people do through a scenario process. So we've just published in the last few months our latest report on our long-term outlook with different scenarios. Um, within them, we've got the classic sort of no change all the way through to really big step changes uh, driven by the, the renewables revolution that's going on right now. Uh -huh. um, an observation that I would make is that the pace of change continues to accelerate. This has been a feature of discussion of the last few years, but it keeps informing our planning. So, so when we stare at our scenarios, 
um, last years or the, the last set, set, the step change in the last set has become perhaps the base case in this step, um, which is probably the conservative case in, the, in, a, in a future set of scenarios. So one of the things that we're constantly trying to do is increasingly think about where do we where do we need to go to live out more in that step change world, because that's what we think is coming down the pipeline to us. And again, given the nature of our business, getting there first is really important because you don't have the transmission. Mm. You can build all the renewables in the world that you like, but if you can't connect them, uh, they're just sort of interesting white elephants. So how do we um, how do we get them connected? And, and our big focus then is to make sure that we stay ahead of this change, which means really leaning in to the more step case aspects of the scenarios that we look at to get ahead of the wrongness in the forecasting that's always there. Right. And uh, that's very interesting because uh, my, my next question is that uh, lately a lot of action and attention has been focused on distribution grids around the world. Um, and thanks in part, that's thanks in part to the decentralization of the electricity system and massive uptake in uh, in rooftop solar. However, what role do you see the transmission grid playing in this ever accelerating transition to renewables? It, it's it's massive. You know, the, we're we're really just seeing in the Australian context, and I know in many other geographies around the world, a huge takeoff of need and therefore investment in transition uh, in transmission. Sorry. I mean, um, just as an aside, I used to think about 10 years ago in the industry, what would it have been like to have been around in the Australian context in the 80s, say, in the last big building boom for electricity? That was back when a whole heap of coal-fired power stations were getting built up and down the coast to underpin the system. I used to think about what would it have been like to have lived in that time? And now I find myself living in that type of era where there's just this massive build program going on. In the case of transmission, I think the, the simple way to think about it is um, uh, classic to any kind of resource or, or production, you need to connect your production centres to your demand centres. And in our setup, the demand centres aren't changing per se. They're based around the cities and some heavy manufacturing users, but the production centres are moving a lot. So I mentioned the last big boom was built around the coal-fired power stations, which were centred around the coal fields. The next place that we're going to be producing energy is much more out in the regions where we can build mm. wind and solar. So we have to rebuild the freeways, if you like, to get that production from the, instead of from the old production centres to the demand centres, we've got to get it from the new production centres to the demand centres. So it, so it means that we've really got to get ahead of the curve of where renewables are heading right. and plan and think about and getting, getting on with building a, a great amount of more of transmission so that we can get the big grid-scale energy um, that's coming from wind and solar back into those same demand centres, into the cities, into the heavy industrial users. Yeah, that, that, that's uh, that's uh, pretty insightful. Uh, a lot of times we hear so much uh, around renewables, uh, but it's it's you know it's it, uh, what you're sharing is uh, very interesting because all these renewables need to connect to the grid. And that's um, that's where, where transmission comes in. Uh, so Brett, as an executive with such a wide array of experiences in our industry, how do you decide which projects or opportunities advance versus those that get canned? So firstly, I, I walk into it with an attitude of I want to do it all. Um, you know, I'm, I'm constantly talking to the team about the different opportunities that we're looking at. And um, uh, one thing we're not constrained by in this industry is money. 
um, if we've got a decent investment case, uh, there is a wall of money out there that wants to invest in transmission as well as the other parts of the energy chain, renewables and the like. And that's great because I've worked with other businesses at other times where you've got to really go out and sweat hard um, to raise your capital. Here, the capital's there. They just want help to channel it into the right places. So the second thing, though, as you start to then and, and chunk it down is, is to talk to the team about what are we really good at? What is it that we're going to be superb at? What's our role um, in all of this change? So in um, in Transgrid, you know, with the transmission line, so clearly anything to do with transmission, uh, we want to absolutely lean into it. And then we're thinking about are there obvious adjacencies where we can bring our skills and experience to bear? And they'll be things typically where big matters. Um, we're a big business that does big stuff. So what are the big adjacencies that we can work with? And there you start to see things like, for example, batteries, grid-scale batteries um, as a natural place that we can start to think and play um, as part of the big rebuilding of the grid that's going on. But you start from, it's great, the funding's out there. So, so we can mm-hmm. never say that the dollars aren't there to back us. So therefore, it's about rather than trying to say we're going to do this or that, the the economy needs it all done. So provided it's close to what we're great at, um, let's get on and do it. Excellent. Um, Brett, you're also known to emphasize the importance of values and uh, and leadership. Tell us what are these values for you and how can such values help bring consensus to hot topics around energy transition on all sides of the political spectrum? I I think values-based leadership is tremendously important um, as we navigate through change. Um, if, if you think about it, just as a, for instance, uh, the emotion that surrounds the energy discussion is profound. You know, here you've got cost, um, security, energy security, security, and and environment, carbon, all wrapped up together in an incredibly emotive topic. Um, here in Australia, I, I think this set of topics has changed, uh, been a big part of changing the last Five prime ministers, for example. I know in US politics, for example, it plays out really strongly. So when all of that, not just empirical discussions going on, but emotional discussions going on, I think it's really important to ground what you do in a really good set of values so that you're thinking about what's best for the wider community, what's best for the customers that you're serving, what's best for our people. If you follow those guiding principles and seek to do the, the right thing in that sense and the authentic thing um, through all of that debate and emotion and colour and light, you simply anchor yourself on, look, I genuinely believe this is the best pathway through this to manage to cost security and, and, and reducing emissions. That allows you to make, I think, good quality decisions, maybe not perfect decisions. Um, you'll still make mistakes, but you're doing it in a way that's grounded in a belief that you're doing the right thing for the broader community. And that's what a great business can be founded on. And in looking inwards, uh, Brett, uh, into Transgrid, how are you using these values to shape the culture at Transgrid as well? So um, one of the first things I've talked about when I arrived is getting the business thinking about our customers. And, and that might sound obvious, but we were recently spun out probably about six years ago now as a government utility um, in, a, in a monopoly regulated setting. And so often, you know, you don't really think about your end customers or you don't really think about the communities that you're serving because there's a focus on engineering excellence um, that you're not necessarily connected to, whereas the community looking to take us. So the first thing I've been doing is really talking to the business about let's listen to what our customers are saying, both directly but also through their elected representatives 
um, government, um, elected officials, as well as the people they appoint, um, the regulators that, that we talk to. So let's think about where they want to head and start to reorientate around what they're looking to do. Secondly, let's be really authentic about how we see the change unfolding and our role in it. Um, there are going to be times when that might mean we have to give difficult messages, while, while at other times we're going to have to take on some difficult tasks. But let's be really upfront about what it means. And finally, let's underpin that with making sure that we're looking after each other, because in a really pressurised environment, it can be quite easy to, to start to be um, um, very tough on, on each other. Um, but let's make sure we bring each other through this change so at the end of the day, we do the right thing, we get the job done, but we can also make sure that we're looking after our people as well as looking after our communities. So, so with that in mind, what would you say are some of the most important leadership traits that you feel are the need of the hour that every leader in, in our industry, regardless of where they sit in the ecosystem, need to focus on? Yeah, look, I think, you know, um, there's a couple of things in there. Um, the first is um, resilience. You know, again, that's a word. I think that was the word of the moment a year or so ago in the reporting season. Um, but it remains the case. Resilience is really important because these are tough emotional changes that we're working through as an industry. They're not just sort of an engineering problem. So resilience and the ability to keep moving forward and keep bringing people along, super important. Um, second, I think, is authenticity. So I've touched on that. Um, already, uh, I think you have to be straight up with people. And if you're authentic about what you believe and what you think the right solution is, it allows you to go to a whole range of stakeholders and give them the same message. Some of them may not like your message, um, mm -hmm. but if you're authentic about it and you can you consistently talk about it in all different forums, um, that will build respect and trust um, in what you're trying to get done. Um, and finally, um, it's sort of the um, wrapped up in the idea of social license, but it's really valuing people in the whole discussion, the people that work for you, the people that you work with, your, your suppliers, your counterparties, and then all parts of the community, really bringing it back to a human understanding about what all of this change means, because there are lots of people involved in this going through a lot of change, which can be really difficult in the way they're changing, the way they're operating. There can be a lot of people affected by things like all the new build that we need to do. Um, and being sympathetic to that, even as we're having to get on with a job of um, building a lot more transmission and making a lot of change, holding that people element central to what you're doing, I think is a really important component of building a social licence, which is an enormous component of modern leadership nowadays, I think. Yeah, that, that, is, that is a very powerful insight. I, I, I recall reading an article uh, not too long ago. Um, where they were talking about how the even the concepts of B2B or B2C are changing to H2H, which is human to human, uh, especially in light of the pandemic. So um, it's, 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 uh, it's music to my ears uh, hearing about authenticity and, and resiliency. Uh, you know, some of those traits that are so very much needed uh, at this hour. So Brett here at SAS, analytics are bread and butter. We love data. How are energy players in Australia operationalizing their data? What is working well? What are the challenges and opportunities that you see? So there is there is definitely a, a big rise in the use of data, which is matched by the big rise in the um, complexity uh, of, of what we're having to do. So if you think about it, for example, you're, you're taking the grid and the network from a setup where there was a small number of connections to it, at least on the supply side, um, large number of connections um, ultimately through distribution on the demand side. 
but but that's exploding into many many grid connections, renewables, storage, um, as well as at a, at a more micro level, all the different ways that customers can then export energy into the grid as well as taking it out. So there's this huge shift going on where you're seeing a lot more data um, being created and needed to be managed as we move from that physical world and focus on physical world that I talked about a little while ago um, into much more the data and the intangible world as we manage all that complexity and we're looking for efficiency and we're looking to keep the system operating as we manage all the way through it. Very exciting. Uh, With so much on your plate and in this challenging world we live in, it is important to have an outlet. I've read that you uh, really enjoy swimming. So tell us about that hobby and how it helps sharpen your mind for what you do professionally. So it's good physical exercise. So I, I swam two kilometers this morning. I typically during wow. the week swim the pool. On the weekend, I'll do ocean swimming um, when I can. So um, uh, last weekend, I think a, a weekend before, sorry, I did a 2K race and, a, and, a, and the other day a shorter thing. So, um, so that's great physically and all the benefits that come with that. But it's also really good, um, I don't know, emotionally. I swim with a group of friends in the morning, so I'll meet at 5.30am at the pool and there's a, a group of guys there. There's about a dozen of us, so each day there won't be everybody there, but whoever's shown up. Um, you can have a swim, but you can also have a bit of a chat, a bit of a laugh with just people from all walks, walks of life, maybe a coffee afterwards. And that kind of sets me up each day emotionally as well, where I've had a bit of a reset um, when I come into work, you know, I've had a chance for a bit of balance um, before yeah. I hit the the maelstrom of, of the everyday working life. That, and that, that balance is so critical um, these days. Uh, this has been a terrific conversation, Brett. Thank you so much for your insights and your time. Listeners, I promised you a trivia question. So in honor of Brett's love of swimming and his joining us from Sydney today, answer this question. How many medals did Australian swimmers win at the most recent Summer Olympics in Tokyo? Leave a comment on this video on YouTube with your answers or email us at electrifyingaipodcast at sas, that's sas.com. We'll pick one lucky winner who answered correctly to get one of our brand new Electrifying AI t-shirts. That is all for this episode. We'll see you again soon. Till then, stay safe.